Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Wednesday, June 20th, 2018, as the Chicago White Sox today were blown out of the water against the Cleveland Indians, losing 12 to nothing as everything went wrong today, and those warm, fuzzy feelings of watching the White Sox start the month of June, eight and six have vanished as the team has now lost seven straight games. On this episode, we'll recap the Indian series and take a look at the White Sox upcoming four game series against the Oakland Athletics. Plus, Chris Getz, the, the White Sox director of player development, will be announcing minor league promotions tomorrow morning. We'll take our crack at making some guesses on who will be promoted where. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. How's the bathroom remodeling project coming along? Let's go back to that again. Yeah, it's uh, (laughs) got a side splash that was on back order that just showed up and have some under-sync organizers that I'll need to shim up because the the tracks don't quite clear the lip of the, the vanity. So I've got some work ahead of me still, but... At least the bathroom is functional, and uh, yeah, that's it on my end. Wow, you have a vanity. That's nice. I read yeah. I read somewhere that a bathroom tile trend is matte tiles instead of glossy. Yeah, I have not had to touch the tile, fortunately, although if I replace the vanity, it's tiled around the vanity. So Ooh, that's basically, if I, were, if I were to try to do anything with that, I'd have to redo the floor. So I'm avoiding that, sticking with what's already there. It's in pretty good shape. So it's tiled from the floor? Well, I mean, it's tiled around the vanity, so the vanity is basically encased by tile. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, that's bathroom remodeling home improvements part yep. of the show. Uh, I hope you like it because this podcast may just become home improvement in the second half of 2018. Uh, we're kidding, of course. The White Sox are 24 and 49. That's hard to say with a straight face. 
uh, without chuckling because as you mentioned before Jim it's either you could laugh at how things are going or you can cry uh, the White Sox are now 11 and 25 against AL Central opponents that's by far the worst record out of all American League Central teams in the division they are 8 and 13 in June which pretty much kisses my hope goodbye that they would finish the month with a 500 record and Ronaldo Lopez Jim didn't have a good day he only lasted four and a third innings allowing six hits Five runs, four of them were earned. He walked four and he struck out six. And Lopez gave up a three-run homer to Jose Ramirez in the first inning. After the game, when the reporter spoke with him, this is what Lopez had to say. For me, we're not having these kinds of performances because we're young. For me, it's about intensity. For us to play the way we know we can play the game. To keep working and grinding. It's unacceptable for us to look the way we look today. Nobody's happy about the way we look today. Honestly, we look like clowns out there, starting with me. But I know we can do better. It's just a matter of us to keep grinding, improving, and working hard. Well, Jim, the clowns are (laughs) part of the statement, uh, sticks out. and uh, Mm -hmm. I like that. I kind of have to agree with Lopez, even though it's a bit harsh. Never want to say that. The team is playing like clowns out there, uh, but sometimes that they do, and they do make silly mistakes. But from our perspective, this is a rebuild. This is a part of the learning process for us fans, and probably more importantly, the White Sox front office to understand on who is going to be worthwhile to invest in and to keep around when the next winning team comes around. However, it wasn't long ago when Jose Abreu voiced his frustration, and then it was James Shields. And now it's the young gun, Ronaldo Lopez. And while the front office does voice patience with top prospects because they have a plan, and that plan is tanking until the moment is right where they can capitalize on young talent at a controlled cost, and us fans have bought into that plan. But the players in the current White Sox roster obviously are trying to win every day. And when you have a 24 and 49 record and you've lost seven straight games and you lose the way that you do today, it's obviously okay for them to be very upset and very frustrated on how things are going because for players like Lopez, I think the White Sox believe he's going to be part of the next winning team. But Lopez is playing with teammates who will not be on that club and in many ways are detrimental to the team's chances of winning today. I feel like Rick Renteria has his gigantic task because there's still another whole half of this season to play, Jim. How do you think he helps these players veterans and the young guys that are going through a lot of frustrations right now to get through this treacherous part of the year. Well, you know, I imagine there's not really a lot he can do roster wise. He's basically has to deal with the players he's given. And when he has an outfield of, uh, I think it's, I kind of mapped it out. It's like plan C plan E and plan F in the outfield. Oh God. Yeah. Um, it's really tough, you know, and, you know, it's not for lack of trying. It's for a lack of, I think, one, it's a lack of talent. And then there's some sloppiness comes in and kind of, you know, watching the game on Sunday, I was there with my dad and my dad said they're basically getting bullied. That's basically how he kind of phrased it. It's just, you know, the teams come in here, uh, you know, in the Chicago as, as we we're watching it there. And, you know, they go to Cleveland and just like they're licking their chops and the White Sox come in because it's like, OK, we can make ourselves feel better by picking on these guys who are less than us and then that's kind of how it feels watching them just because it's like um sometimes they um you know get beat up sometimes they are made to beat up themselves by you know basically uh, taking their own fists and punching them with them because it's 
um, you know, mistakes they shouldn't be making. Like in the first inning, it was kind of everything. It was Lopez walking guy. It was Moncada making an error on a rather routine play. And that's a homer to Jose Ramirez, who's, you know, so that's a matter of, you know, kind of not exe- you know, lack of execution, um, you know, a, a lack of just, um, you know, whether you want to call it talent, whether you want to call it an experience, whether you just want to call it inconsistency, whatever it is, you know, that shows up. And then it's, um, you know, just getting beat up by better players. So um, that's basically what the White Sox are dealing with and on a team scale until, you know, the reinforcements show up. And, you know, right now we're really only talking about Elo Jimenez in that conversation because Michael Kopech's off to another rough start. Um, you know, it's just going to be a long, long season. And, and that's why I think they, they like Renteria because he's good at having these interpersonal relationships and sitting down with guys, you know, regardless of language, he can directly address everybody. And I think he's going to be having a lot of one-on-one conversations as the rest of the season unfolds. I just wouldn't want his job right now. I mean, this, this is painful because he's been forced. And we talked about the last couple of weeks in order to have a competent defensive outfield, he's been forced to play someone like Trace Thompson, who can't have a batting average higher than 120, it seems like. And he struck out in his pinch hit performance today. That might be his last at bat with the White Sox uh, because, again, Avi is close to being ready, and he's part of the rehab stint today. I believe he's DHing uh, tonight for the Charlotte Knights instead of playing out in the field. Uh, so maybe the White Sox are ready to bring him up. But, you know, you mentioned as far as the sloppiness, and that is something that I obviously don't want to lose sight of because, yes, this is a rebuilding year, but this is also an opportunity for the coaches and the coaching staff uh, to demonstrate their skills, right? To be able to work on players that are struggling, help them get over those struggles, and for us to see progression and begin to believe later this year that, yeah, these guys can be average major leaguers or better or all-stars or maybe superstars. So when you look at that sloppiness and and you make mention of that, is Rick Renteria and the coaching staff doing a good enough job to help limit the sloppiness? Oh, that's hard to say just because I don't know what they do before games, during games, after games. Um, you know, I would say a point um, against them is Moncada's defense because that's taken a step back this year and, he kind of looks like he's he's battling what Tim Anderson battled early in the year where he's letting play. It's, it's a weird combination. And when you watch him, his body language is pretty relaxed. But at the same time, he seems to rush the moment where the ball hits his glove. Like you know, That's from the point when he starts to either try to position his body for a throw or think about the throw ahead and, and you know, perhaps getting the lead runner and having to make a quick turn and never looks the ball into the glove. And Anderson had the same problem where it looked like the game was speeding up on him. So with Mankata, I think it's a matter of just kind of almost being a little too relaxed approaching the ball. And then when he tries to make a play, he does it too quick and the ball just clinks off his glove. So, I mean, that's kind of a weird problem. And and maybe the White Sox can resolve that. Or maybe, you know, maybe maybe the Nick Magical uh, question is a lot easier in a couple of years (laughs) when you're talking about who to switch from positions. But um, on the other hand, um, today and, and also I would say over the last several games, Daniel Polka has looked a little bit better in right field. I know he's been working yeah. hard with Daryl Boston on his reads, doing a lot of pregame work. He made a nice running catch on the warning track. He he made the he made the catch uh, a couple days ago, and I think maybe it was last night, where 
He kind of had to angle his body in the warning track. It was the one that Joe Maurer hit over his head early in the year that he got completely lost on. Um, he corrected himself in that play, angled his body better, took a better route. And so he seems to be making some strides, or at the very least, that he doesn't have, you know, the he's starting to rack up some games on the uh, on the disaster site uh, board. You know, it's been so long without an accident. So, you know, he's made some strides. So, you know, it's a learning process in, in a lot of regards. And I think some guys are better than others, and perhaps with you know Paul, it's a fairly clean slate for him overall, being a young major leaguer getting some run versus Moncada, who's had some ups and downs, and maybe there is a, a bit of a toll being taken on him, and um, you know that's something that Renteria has to address either with pregame work, postgame work. Um, um, you know, maybe when Larry Garcia comes back, there's a time to give him you know a couple days off in a row just to allow him to reset. Although you know he is hitting better, so. Um, you know, perhaps the, you know, that's not the best idea. You just have to let him work through the defensive stuff. I'm glad you mentioned Daniel Polko because that is a good example of the White Sox coaching staff coaching up a player because, yeah, he did make that great catch on the warning track last night. And I was shocked. <laughs> I was shocked that he made that type of play, but he has been looking better. I haven't looked at his defensive metrics as of late, Jim. I don't know if they are approving, uh, but the eye test says that Daniel Polka is looking better. I just, I, I'm not worried because obviously the players are going to get frustrated. And I think this frustrated quotes that we're going to hear from the clubhouse is just going to continue into the second half. And I admire that these guys have the passion and the drive that they want to win today. It's just a very unique viewpoint as a fan and somebody, you know, for us, we podcast, we write about these guys almost every single day, Jim. It's almost like watching characters in a play that we've seen before and we know how this ends, but they don't. And they're trying to change the story. Hmm. And here they are now, 25 games below 500, and they haven't even reached 25 wins on the season. You know, you mentioned um, the June record that they won, were 8-6. and six. Yeah. They won eight games in April. They won eight games in May. Have they used their allotted win total? <laughs> I really hope not, Jim, because there's like seven more games of this month, right? Four against Oakland, three against Minnesota, two against Texas. There's nine more games in this month. I don't know. 16-game losing streak. <laughs> Jim, let's not go there. <laughs> let's not Let's not go there. I do think that they'll win some games against Oakland. We'll get to that in a moment. But I... It's one thing when it's Jose Abreu, and it's another when it's James Shields. These guys are veterans, and honestly, if they want to win this year and go chase that coveted World Series reign, they have to join other teams because obviously it's not happening with the Chicago White Sox this year, and it's probably not going to happen next year either unless they get the stroke of luck like a team like the Atlanta Braves uh, have gotten this year. Um, But when the young guys voice it, I just – I'm going to be paying attention to see how Rick Renteria handles this. He's always, He always says the right things, and he just looks like that warm personality that you can gravitate to, that he'll tell you that everything is okay, that there will be brighter days ahead. Uh, just wondering on how the young guys are going to be handling this as we get into July and August, and if this type of play continues, who else is going to start voicing their frustration. I think the key with uh, Lopez is that, um, you know, at least he included himself. And I think that's probably, you know, a key distinction for uh, young guys to make, you know, who might, this might be their first time kind of 
admitting team-wide fault or trying to motivate the team through words that he didn't, you know, <laughs> I, I'm a big fan of the, uh, the word clowns. It's, <laughs> it, it's, uh, it's one, you know, an insult, but it's also uh, inherently, it's soft enough to where it's not like vulgar and anybody can say it, but it's also like when you get there, just, it feels like old man griping and, and something an old man would say around a kid when he doesn't want to use harsher language. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I, what are I these agree. clowns doing? Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, the fact that he, he made sure to, if he, he didn't single out anybody and included himself, I think yeah, that's probably at the very least good training in that regard. And that might be Jose Abreu rubbing off on younger players because that's something that Abreu has done in the past where he may voice his frustration, but then he points at himself and says, I'm not doing enough to help with, with the team winning games. Um, but I agree with you. It, it's great to see that from Ronaldo Lopez. This is a very, very tough task for Rick Renteria. Again, I would not want his job trying to coach this particular roster and still get through a whole second half of the season. And uh, hopefully there are brighter days ahead for the Chicago White Sox. I want to talk through a game situation now, we haven't talked through game situations just because, well, the White Sox aren't winning a whole lot of games. And when you're going through a season like 2018, things continue to repeat itself over and over and over again. But there was one particular situation that I wanted to talk through with you, Jim, because I think this was a unique opportunity for the White Sox to maybe intentionally walk a batter in the second inning to get a better matchup, but the whole principle of intentionally walking batters in the second inning uh, is weird to me. And this was during Carlos Rodon's start, so it was the second game of the series. Uh, Rodon had already gave up two runs. He was having difficulty with command. Omar Neves was having difficulty blocking pitches for Rodon. And with Francisco Lindor coming to the plate, Michael Brantley's on deck. Lindor, in his career against Radon before that moment, was 5 for 21, hitting a couple home runs. Brantley was 2 for 14 with four strikeouts. Rodon was much better against Brantley during their career. So with runners on second or third and two outs, do you think the White Sox made the right call pitching to Lindor? Or... Is this an opportunity where they could walk Lindor to load the bases and have Rodon take the better matchup for him against Michael Brantley? For a guy like Rodon, who's, you know, he's shown the strikeout stuff. He's shown an ability to strike out anybody. And he's, you know, has immense confidence in this stuff. Probably don't want, you know, he's not going to be somebody who wants to pitch around many people. And also when you factor in the control problems he was having, might not want to have the bases loaded just in case you have to pitch carefully to Brantley for whatever reason. You know, he gets into a situation where, you know, he falls behind 2-1. Do you have to want to have to pump in strikes or, you know, risk walking in a run? So, you know, given his talent level and given his control problems earlier in the inning that, that in, and maybe with the catcher behind the plate too, you know, losing strikes that way, I don't mind having two opportunities to get a guy out. And, uh, you know, given the season, given the stakes, given – um, Rodon working himself back into shape. I don't mind him trying to test himself by executing against very good hitters. Yeah, the the conflict that I have is there's one part of me that when the White Sox are facing a team like the Indians and if Renteria is still trying to manage the game to win because obviously these players are trying to win the game, you, you do have to, do, at any opportunity, limit as much damage as possible. So there's part of me that says... Walk Lindor, face the left-handed hitter, 
that has a terrible time against Carlos Rodon. And I have faith that even with the bases loaded, Rodon is going to come through and get Brantley out. And even despite all his struggles that inning, it's only going to be a two to one ball game. But then the other part of me is it's the second inning, Josh. Why would you ever intentionally walk someone in the second inning? Yeah, second inning in a rebuilding year. And I think when it comes to this kind of season where there aren't really stakes in terms of the meaning of one individual win, one individual loss, I'd rather see them err on the side of challenging their players and especially their younger players, you know, not having them, you know, say if it's a favorable pitch count and, you know, they're working in the seventh, they have a chance to complete the seventh. I don't mind them, you know, assuming it's not a ridiculous pitch count. You're not going through the fourth time through the order against Jose Ramirez or one of the best hitters in the league. You know, it's, it's a decent challenge without a, an obvious answer. I like them erring on the side of seeing what they can do against players who are better than them because, you know, given the talent disparity, we're seeing that a lot. But at least there's, you know, with a team on this, this I guess, you know, they, I guess their tendency to lose in the way they do. I don't mind them losing by getting beat by better players. I mind them losing, you know, when they make all sorts of mistakes that just, you know, open the floodgates. But, you know, Francisco Lindor getting a two-out hit is one of the more noble ways you can you uh, lose a game, I guess, to uh, kind of use an odd adjective. Well, yeah, there's a difference between the White Sox getting swept by the Indians on the road, almost expected, mm-hmm. and there's a difference getting swept by the Detroit Tigers at home. Yeah, yeah. I have a totally different feeling on how these three games played out uh, than this past weekend's series went out. So that, that's, a, that's a well-made point, Jim. Before we preview the upcoming four-game weekend series against the Oakland Athletics, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. Buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there is a better way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out with friends, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I use SeatGeek all the time to buy Chicago White Sox tickets. As a matter of fact, I have tickets for the Jim Tomey bobblehead day in August and also for the series when the Angels come into town. Uh, Can't wait to see what Mike Trout will do against the White Sox if he continues his 14-war pace that he's currently on. Uh, But, you know, there's a lot of reasons why I like SeatGeek. I don't like printing out my tickets. I like having the tickets on my phone, easy access into the stadium. I love their deal score because it tells me where I get the most bane for my buck buying tickets and there's always great value as well from buying tickets on SeatGeek for this upcoming weekend series for example against the A's on Friday night tickets are just starting at $10 same as Saturday afternoon at 1:10 p.m. central time and for the Sunday game tickets are as low as $8 and the best part is for listeners of Sox Machine you get to save in a couple of ways this month one if you've never used SeatGeek before use promo code SOXMACHINE to save $20 off your first purchase and if you have used SeatGeek before use promo code MACHINE to get $10 off on all Major League Baseball purchases into the end of June. Again, that's machine for $10 off on all purchases on Major League Baseball tickets in June and $20 off to save uh, off your first purchase by using promo code SOXMACHINE on SeatGeek.com or on the SeatGeek app. Now for the four-game series against the Oakland Athletics. The A's are 38-36 and 36 
Unfortunately for them, that's only good enough for fourth place in the American League West as they are 10 and a half games behind the Houston Astros for first place. They would be faring a lot better and feeling probably better about themselves if they were in the American League Central, which they would easily be in second place. And your pitching problems for this series starting on Thursday at 7.10 p.m. Central Time. It is a old friend, Chris Bassett, starting for the A's, going up against Lucas Giolito. On Friday, also 7.10 p.m. Central Time, it is Sean Minaya for the A's against James Shields. Saturday afternoon, it is Daniel Megden against Dylan Covey. And on Sunday afternoon, it is Paul Blackburn against Carlos Rodon. And Jim, like I mentioned, I mean, the A's are having a good year. They're 38-36, and 36, they're above 500, but they're so far away from sniffing out the postseason just because of how well the top teams are playing in the American League, including the Seattle Mariners. Looking into this four-game series and how well the A's have been playing, is there an opportunity here for the White Sox to snap out of this funk? I think there is, and it kind of reminds me a little bit of the Brewer series in that the starting pitching, you know, Manaya is good, um, but when it, you look at the other guys, Bassett's been, you know, really kind of thrown in there, and, and uh, you know, Mengden's had kind of an inconsistent season, and, you know, it, it's like the Brewers where they had starting pitching you could get to, and if you get to them early and avoid, say, them sitting up their bullpen in the late innings, you can steal a win and you have to avoid the homer with them because they can hit the ball at the park. It's not really a well-rounded offense, but uh, you know, they, they do hit with power, especially on the corners. So there's a, uh, you know, it's kind of a lopsided team in, in ways, not the most well-rounded. I, I noticed they're 13 for 26 stealing bases. They're by far the, uh, uh, have the lowest stolen base total in the league. So they basically thump the ball and, you know, get pitching in bursts, but you know, they have a four-game win streak, but they lost four games in a row before that, and they seem to kind of uh, uh, fluctuate on both sides of 500 with these kind of bursts of competence followed by struggles, you know, with a, um, you know, some thinness in the roster. So the White Sox can get to them, and given how poorly they played and, and uh, you know, against Cleveland and, and hoping that my eight-win theory isn't uh, – uh, the one that prevails, I think there is an opportunity to kind of reset and maybe be an ordinary kind of below average and get a couple wins here. Yeah, because after the A series, they have the day off on Monday, June 25th. Then they have a three-game midweek series against the Minnesota Twins before heading on the road um, for the beginning for the end of June, beginning of July, where they'll be heading to Arlington to face the Texas Rangers, and then a series against the Cincinnati Reds. And, uh, oh boy, for the July weekend, they are in Houston. Yeah, it's a really weird road trip, Texas, Ohio, Texas, that yeah. Benetti keeps talking about. Couldn't they <laughs> just lump the Rangers and Houston series? Couldn't they just have flip-flopped? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It seems a, seems a bit yeah, weird. Yeah, no, I know Benetti's pointed it out, that out a couple times. So I don't know if um, yeah, that might be one of those series where Steve Stone takes a pass because I think – for whatever reason, I had that uh, that idea that Stone is uh, you know kind of poking fun of Benetti for having to do all three legs, but I could be misinterpreting that and just Stone poking fun of Benetti like he usually does. <laughs> yes, there's been a lot of that, especially in the blowouts. Uh, as yeah, I, I don't know how you broadcast these games. Yeah. yeah. 
but okay, so that's the A series, and we'll see how the White Sox do. Again, we'll recap that series on Monday's Sox Machine podcast. But I wanted to wrap up the show here tomorrow morning. Uh, we are going to get news Thursday morning, I should say, for those that are listening to this, to the recording uh, after the live stream. The director of player development, Chris Gatz, uh, will be speaking to the beat reporters and be announcing, or the White Sox will be announcing, I should say, uh, the promotions of several minor leaguers of the system. What we know for sure is Luis Robert will be joining the Winston-Salem Dash. How do we know this? Instagram, of course. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of other options, too, that the White Sox uh, can make here. Obviously, if Robert is joining the Dash, the Dash need to lose an outfielder to Birmingham. Would that mean that Elo Jimenez finally joined Charlotte? Because that would only make sense. Uh, okay, I'll calm down. But anyways, <laughs> uh, Jim, any guesses on, I guess, who would be promoted first from Birmingham to Charlotte? Well, I'm guessing that's Eloy Jimenez. That's the obvious one. And then I think... Uh... I'm trying to think where I saw it, or was it speculation that Sevi Zavala could be going to Charlotte? Um, See, that one's the interesting one. Yeah. Should we be reading more into that, or is that just something that... You know where that was said? Because I lost track of that. Uh, it's on Twitter. <laughs> Maybe it was uh, Barstool Dave that may have mentioned that. I know that he uh, tweeted out some ideas or what he said as far as scoops. I don't have the tweet in front of me on what he is hearing that could be the promotions for the White Sox tomorrow morning. Uh, there's a uh, future Sox, James Fox saying Jimenez, Zavala and Ian Hamilton likely headed to Charlotte. Gotcha. So yeah. there's that. Um, then I think baseball America said Joel Booker is going to Birmingham. Well, he had a big all-star game. Yep. And so I imagine maybe Basabe goes with him and then maybe that's Robert and, Gonzalez? Uh, yeah, Luis Gonzalez. That would seem fair to Gonzalez. <laughs> he had a weird end of the first half having to kind of take a backseat to Robert as Robert got, you know, playing time and, and reps in center field and such. And, you know, um, Gonzalez took a backseat to that. But it seems like he deserves a promotion. And so if you open up two spots there, maybe you get those two spots, even though they're still an outfielder heavy because, you know, they have call and, oh, well, you know, do they have. In Birmingham, they have Polo and Jameson Fisher. Yeah, none of those guys seem, you know, it's potentially, you know, I think Polo's had enough reps in AA to where they maybe give it a shot, but he hasn't really put together like a good couple weeks yet. So, right. Yeah. But yeah. If they, well, if they move Zavala to AAA, then they have the DH spot open. So they can do a rotation there. With, if, if that is true, and Zavala does go to Charlotte, Jim, how should we read into that promotion? I think it's maybe that Zavala is a better handler of pitchers or maybe does better work behind the plate. And so in the event that the White Sox need an emergency catcher and maybe it's, um, you know, maybe they still go to Alfredo Gonzalez, but maybe say if Gonzalez is unavailable, maybe they feel more comfortable with Zavala being thrown into a major league pitching staff situation but I wouldn't say, you know, that when it comes to long-term plans that uh, Collins is out of the running yet. I think, you know, Collins' offense is ahead of Zavala's. But I think right now, if you're calling up a rookie catcher in an emergency situation, I think probably Zavala might be the guy they go to. And, you know, they still have the rest of the year to, you know, especially in Collins' case, he has the rest of the year to catch up. And then, you know, it might be the same situation all over again next year where they're sharing time in Charlotte. But for the very, yeah, you know, I guess for the time being, 
this just gives them an opportunity to get pretty much everyday playing time behind the plate at separate levels in the event that they do have to reunite in Charlotte and have to split the time again. Do you think this does mean, though, that Zavala, if you're making a depth chart list of all the prospects for all the positions, is ahead of Zach Collins? Uh, no, I mean, not in the big picture. I think just right now, immediately, yes, but um, I, I think it would be something that would be reevaluated over the uh, remainder of the year. And if Collins's offense keeps up and he shows no signs of slowing down and Zavala still has that you know, big strikeout tendency and not nearly as many walks and you know, maybe looks more exploitable than Collins, then, you know, it's probably worth, you know, weighing those factors, you know, offense and defense and seeing where they are. But I imagine this is just mainly because of his ability to handle pitchers and everyday playing time for two months before, you know, uh, you know assuming, you know, Castillo's back and one of Kevin Smith or Omar Narvaez sticks as the backup, you know, it'll be that situation all over again. Gotcha. Uh, how about Dylan Cease? Do you think Dylan Cease stays with Winston-Salem or do you see him going up to Birmingham? I could see him going up to Birmingham. I do wonder with him pitching in the All-Star game and with Dane Dunning pitching in the All-Star game, Flores pitching in the All-Star game, you know, what that means for their pitching schedules and whether that means that, you know, maybe they take, you know, maybe their promotions are delayed just in order to make sure everybody's on five days rest and both affiliates still have starters. I'm not quite sure how that works and how they, you know, account for that All-Star appearance, but I think he can get the call. I think he's, uh, you know, he's pitching effectively enough and he's accrued enough innings in Winston-Salem day where even if he has short starts in Birmingham, you know, throws four or five innings every time out, he'll still have a new high in innings by the end of the year. And he'll be getting a taste of that new level. Flores will be the interesting one because he's been, you know, maybe more effective than Cease when it comes to run prevention. He doesn't have the stuff, but he is, you know, pitching. He is maximizing his stuff right now. Winston-Salem has an ability to, to uh, you know, work around the zone and he, he, he can, you move his fastball around, has good secondary stuff. Yeah, it's kind of a complete approach right now, even if he doesn't really pitch well over 90 um, with his fastball. I wonder if Birmingham would be a tougher adjustment for him, but right now I don't think Winston-Salem is showing him a whole lot. So it sounds like some expected ones, maybe some unexpected. I wasn't expecting Joel Booker to get promoted, but, hey, he's had a terrific first half. He Is he old for the level Yeah, he's Carolina? 24. 24. Okay. So So makes sense age wise to be in Birmingham. We'll see if he can continue that success, uh, making the jump to double a and yeah, it'll be be fascinating if that does come to fruition in which Sebi Zavala joins the Charlotte Knights and not Zach Collins. I, I think he could go either way. I mean, the way that Collins has been hitting as of late and maybe you would want Collins to start catching Michael Kopech, but at the same time, if you have Zavala go to Charlotte, just because if you do feel, if the White Sox do feel that in case of emergency, as you mentioned, Jim, they feel more comfortable that Sebi Zavala can handle this situation uh, and not Zach Collins. Zach Collins is working with, hopefully, some of the pitchers that the White Sox are counting on uh, to be stalwarts in the rotation, like Alec Hansen and Dane Dunning, to continue to build uh, that rapport. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what the final promotions are, uh, but it better be Ayla Jimenez to Charlotte. No, I'm, yes. I'm sorry. I will calm down. Uh, I will not have an aneurysm if that does not happen. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> but it's yeah, kind of, well, yeah, Speaking of uh, Kopech, he's retired five in a row, and it's kind of weird. I'm excited about that. Well, small gains, Jim. Yep. Take the positives whenever they come. And don't hold your breath because you never know 
an eight and six June can suddenly become eight and thirteen, just like that. Snap the finger, and uh, hopefully it won't become a sixteen-game losing streak. <laughs> I hope you are wrong about that. Anyways, that will do it for this edition of Sox Machine Live. Thank you guys for listening to the live stream on Mixer.com slash Sox Machine, where this episode and all Sox Machine Lives, the recordings are uploaded into the podcast feed the very next day. It'll be quite interesting to see where the promotions are and get your guys' thoughts on who gets promoted where and uh, reactions as well, uh, not only from the White Sox themselves, but also other writers like Jim Callis, etc. because obviously this will play uh, into top prospect lists. But we want to thank you for listening to this episode. Again, we'll talk to you guys on Monday recapping the Oakland A's series and this is the first time that you have listened to a socks machine live or socks machine podcast you can subscribe to our shows in a variety of ways one is through itunes by going to the itunes store and search socks machine to subscribe there you can also listen to us in spotify the google play music store for android smartphone users and audioboom.com slash socks machine Sox Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.